Welcome to North Shore News Week. Hello, hello, North Shore, and welcome to the latest edition of North Shore News Week, your weekly podcast to catch you up on all the news that was at your friendly neighborhood news site, the record, NorthShore.org. I am Joe Coglin. That is Martin Carlino. We are two of the co-founders of the record, North Shore, a nonprofit news site, community first, reader first. Um, we work for you, and uh, that's where all these stories come from, that website and all that um, public service work, and we have a Man, we say it every time, but for real this time, for real, real, we got a jam-packed episode, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy busy week on the news side, and then we also factor in that it is the end of the high, of many high school sports seasons. So nonstop week here, just like always. Yeah, so we're pumping out stories like crazy, so make sure to keep uh, – we send out, obviously, a weekly newsletter on Thursdays. It came out this morning. We, uh, we do this pod as well to catch you up, but um, there's stories popping up every day, so make sure you check out the website, therecordnorthshore.org. But we're going to jump into it. we got three segments to deliver these, these headlines to you. We have our lead story. Then we have up and down the shore where we go from our northernmost coverage town, Glencoe, to our southernmost Wilmette and everything in between. And then we do our featured feature. So catch you up with some human interest reporting that we've done. Um, we're going to start right away with uh, the lead story, and it's out of Nutrier High School. Um, no surprise there as it covers our whole area. But um, surprisingly, a book kind of came under fire from some parents at the latest Board of Education meeting. And it's the book Two Boys Kissing, uh, which has, according to officials, been on the sophomore reading list available to some sophomores. Um, for the past six years. Um, it is a book by uh, David Leviathan. Um, and uh, it's, it's about nine, I'm sorry, eight gay teenagers um, and kind of how their unconnected stories um, kind of run parallel in this 48 hour span about uh, in which two of the boys try to set the world record for Kissing, which is, I think, 30-something hours. So um, it's an award-winning book. Uh, it was on the National Book Award long list when it was released in 2013. Um, David Leithen's an a, um, incredible, um, sorry for the uh, editorializing, but he is a, uh, a, a renowned author um, and a an, an New, New York Times bestselling list. And uh, it, it's really kind of unclear why this came up now, uh, six years after, but it caught the attention of a, a subset of parents um, we do know that uh, the group New Trier Neighbors, uh, which is a, a local conservative parent group, which advocated against uh, Seminar Day, if you remember in, in 2017, saying it didn't have enough conservative voices. Um, but they sent out a mass email about the book on May 25th, kind of criticizing it and suggesting the parents read passages from the book, some of the more explicit passages out loud at board meetings, um, because that's what's done in other communities. And that's exactly what happened. Um, a lot of parents, uh, I think the board heard from about 23, uh, more were in attendance, not everyone spoke, um, but I think 23 total spoke about 10 um, against the book and about 12 to 13 um, for the book, but that also included some teachers. So, sorry, there's a lot of nuance to this story, so make sure you check out the full story. But um, the basic crux of the argument on the opposition side was that there are there's explicit copy here and explicit themes, uh, maybe talking about um, some things that are too mature for the sophomores that uh, may get to read this book. Um, there are descriptions of sexual encounters. Um, 
some themes about, uh, you know, illicit relationships like a, a adult and a minor uh, that are talked about and explained and uh, underage drinking among other things were some of the complaints um, from those parents, the, the, uh, the proponents of the book um, who are in favor of keeping it and, and weren't too happy with those arguing were saying the arguments were based in fear um, that the two, two boys kissing is about is a, you know, um, a book with gay themes and um, supports, they support the inclusion of, um, they believe it's important for the inclusion and the identities of all, all students at Nutria High School, the entire LGBTQ plus community um, and how it's uh, impacted them and how it's positive to see um, themselves in literature and in, in other ways. And, you know, after everybody spoke and, you know, the board members and the administration, uh, if I'm being quite honest, you can watch the video and prove me wrong if you want, but they were pretty emphatic in the, not really um, in defending the book and coming to its aid um, about how it's uh, important to the curriculum and how they, the book is chosen not by the board and not necessarily by the administration. The administration gives that right and that privilege to the English curriculum, their English staff and the English department and the language arts department. Um, and that's long been, according to officials, a privilege, a professional privilege of working at Nutrier. Uh, so it's been on the reading list for a while. Um, and they say it's important to have books that offer um, historically marginalized voices um, and amplifies those. And that's uh, just one of the reasons other than it is an award-winning um, modern contemporary young adult book. Um, so a lot of, lot of quotes in there. A lot of students and ex-students came to the defense of the book as well at the meeting. Um, they extended the, the, uh, the time allotted, which is usually 30 minutes to 60 minutes. And it, it's, um, <clears throat> it seems like Paul Sally, the superintendent, is going to address those concerns on a parent-to-parent -parent basis where and when he can, um, but it doesn't seem like something that's gonna go too much further right now uh, with its inclusion on the list. It wasn't on the agenda. So it was just kind of a topic to discussion out of nowhere. <clears throat> and that is it. Uh, like I said, a lot more nuance to that. If you wanna check it out, check out what administrators have to see, check out what the opposition had to say, as well as uh, those in, in favor of the book or support the book. Um, there's plenty to digest um, in that story. So take a look when you can at the record North Shore Devil. And that's our lead story. Um, that's our main story up right now. I believe it still is the, um, the lead on our page to check it out. Uh, we put it up last night. And now we're going to go to our second segment, which is called Up and Down the Shore. Plenty more to digest here. And uh, we're gonna start with a couple stories from Marty and our northernmost town is where we start. Let's, uh, let's head up to Glencoe. Yeah, some news out of Glencoe School District 35, Joe, and that news is that next school year, so starting in uh, the fall of this year in August, Glencoe District 35 will require all students and all staffs, um, let me rephrase that quickly, all eligible students to provide documentation status of their um, COVID-19 vaccine. So by that, what the district means is they will ask um, all eligible students, so as of our recording right now, um, students, the, the Pfizer vaccine is approved in use for 12 to 15 um, for, for people who are 12 to 15 years of age. So no one younger than that. So the district will not ask students younger than 
uh, age 12 for their vaccine status, but they will ask all employees and that includes um, anyone who is hired by the district, administrators, substitutes, teachers, custodians, uh, every, everyone hired by the district for their vaccine status. So uh, at the meeting, the, the board and uh, school administrators had a chance to explain their reasoning for that. And essentially what it comes down to is that it will help next school year in determining um, what quarantines are going to be necessary if they know the status of, uh, if they know the vaccination status of the individual. So for example, if a COVID-19 case comes up next year in the school, they will know who is required to quarantine under the most updated guidance from the Illinois Department of Public Health and the Cook County Department of Public Health related to quarantine. So they'll know that if um, the individual who tested positive for COVID-19 was in contact with other individuals, um, those individuals are only going to need to quarantine if they are not vaccinated. So by knowing the vaccination status of everyone, it will allow the district to move uh, more quickly in determining those procedures and um, how to handle cases, potential cases of the virus. So this is the first school district in our coverage area that has come forward um, with something like this. And just to make sure I'm presenting this uh, as clearly as possible. This is not a vaccine mandate. This is just a requirement from the district that will ask all eligible individuals for their vaccine status. So they'll be at the start of the school year asked to say, are they vaccinated or not? And if they are vaccinated, if they do say they are vaccinated, they'll be required to provide proof of that. So um, the district has immunization records on hand. And as I mentioned, can act more swiftly in cases um, when a case of COVID-19 uh, arises in the school. So first we've seen from our local school distri districts, can't say for sure yet um, if some of the other elementary districts in our coverage area will act in similar manners. But the first we've seen so far of something like this. Yeah, so check out that full story. Pretty interesting stuff. And uh, Glencoe's kind of been um, pretty forward and pretty transparent about what they're doing and what they're looking for from their, their community in regards to COVID-19 and the vaccine. So check that yeah, out. Great point there, Joe. If you'll remember back to, um, I believe it was October, late October, early November, Glencoe District 35 was one of the first districts that announced it would be going on an adaptive pause from the Thanksgiving holiday until uh, mid-January until Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And they were the first district that required a negative COVID-19 test for students and faculty members to return to school after that adaptive after that adaptive pause. So as you mentioned there, Joe, yes, they have been, I think it is fair to say they have been at the forefront of, of some of these health and safety protocols. And that is out of Glencoe and in Winnetka, we checked up on a, um, yeah, I mean, it's a contentious project and development for the corner of uh, the southeast corner of um, Lincoln and Elm. It was called One Winneka, and now that's kind of taken over the name for the site. Um, but it's still um, embattled, still embroiled in, in some, some issues, and um, Marty had the latest. Yeah, and it seems really just like yesterday, just a few weeks ago, Joe, that that site, those properties at the southeast corner there that you mentioned were slated for that one Winneka development. And just for our listeners who are not familiar, that development was first approved by, by village officials in 2018. Um, I believe the estimated total was somewhere in the uh, $105 million range. And it included um, 
apartments, townhomes, condominium, con- condos, commercial spaces, retail, um, all kinds of aspects to it uh, when that project was first inf- um, approved in 2018. However, in, mid- in the middle of 2019, the village of Winneka rescinded its approval of that project after the then developer of it, David Trandell and his development group failed to meet several uh, previously agreed upon deadlines that were part of the conditions of approval from Winneka. So that, uh, that project was then rescinded and the, um, the lender of the property then went into foreclosure proceedings on the property. So as part of that process, they then needed to take new bids for proposals. So in 2000, in late 2020, we got word that the um, real estate group Hoffman Commercial Real Estate had submitted a bid and was selected as the, uh, the bid to move forward with a potential project there. However, we learned recently that that is no longer happening and Hoffman has withdrawn its plans to move forward on the site. So now the site remains uh, still still uh, with no clear future and still no project um, set to move forward. So uh, a bit of a, a bit of an holding pattern for it after it looked after it once looked like it was going to be the site of a, of a pretty major development in the North shore. So um, as part of that, as part of the uh, first project that was approved in the development group who had handled it, there are now some property maintenance violations that the village of Oneka is trying to, enforce on it that it is saying the original developer has failed to, to maintain. So there are several um, lawsuits in court right now that are still active uh, related to the property maintenance of that. One of the uh, lawsuits that was one of the uh, property maintenance violations that Winneka was able to force on the um, property was related to its fire management and, and the alarms that it had and the uh, proper safety procedures in place in the event of a fire. And then several other issues also related to its property maintenance are still tied up in court um, as of right now. So nothing imminent right now, no imminent plans for a future development there, but uh, I'm sure sometime in the future, whether that be the the near future or a little bit down the road, we're going to see another developer take a swing at that site because it's fair to say it's probably one of the most enticing development opportunities uh, throughout the North Shore. Yeah, indeed. I think you're right there, Marty. Um, we're going to stroll along Willow Road till we get to Northfield and have some fun talking about maybe, maybe something not so heavy. And, and Northfield's, um, you know, main park is now reopened. Yeah, Clarkson Park is back. Let everyone rejoice. So for, <laughs> for those familiar, it's the park located off of Willow Road at Bristol Street. And it's uh, recently just reopened. And later this month towards the end of June, the Northfield Park District is actually going to have a bit of a, uh, a reopening celebration party with some live music, some uh, some food from nearby restaurants to celebrate their reopening. So if, uh, if longtime fans of the record remember, in late 2020, we first reported on um, the most recent construction updates that were going to be taking place at Clarkson Park. We um, caught up with the executive director there and had some information about everything that would be happening there. So the renovation work at Clarkson has actually been a pretty lengthy process um, involving the park district trying to secure some grants and some funding for all the improvements that would be made. And then with work starting last year, as I mentioned on our, uh, on our story in total, it was about a $1.5 million renovation project that included um 
you know, complete reconstruction, a new playground, band shell, uh, a splash pad and walking path. So that park, uh, for those who have had the chance to, to drive by it recently, looks pretty different than what it, uh, than what it did last year. So a lot of changes, but uh, officially reopened now and some celebratory times coming here at the, uh, at the end of the month. Yeah, definitely. So get out and enjoy the summer. A lot of things going on here on the North shore, uh, for you to enjoy. Um, skipping back across, uh, the expressway, um, we're going to go to Kenilworth and, uh, we have a kind of a, uh, a new story here. Um, a bit of a odd one related to the January 6th, uh, insurrection over at, over at, at the, uh, the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., and a 24-year-old Kenilworth resident, actually formerly of Winnetka and formerly of Lake Forest, um, was arrested on Tuesday of this week, Tuesday, January 8th, um, and charged with two misdemeanors, but basically for his involvement in the Capitol um, riot. Um, according a lot of the evidence gathered, he, he was um, arrested and charged by federal authorities, obviously. Um, and a lot of the evidence they gathered, according to a criminal complaint and an affidavit, um, was submitted and was collected by social media, as well as confirmed by some of his um, acquaintances, former classmates, people from the area who knew him. Um, and his name is Christian Coolis, 24, as I mentioned, um, posted on his Instagram account um, that actually um, was confirmed photos that were thought to be of him were confirmed by his mother um, in uh, in messages captured by federal authorities as well. Um, he was charged with unlawful activity um, in and around um, the U.S. Capitol um, building. The two men met the two misdemeanors formally are knowingly entering a restricted building and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. Pretty too minor um, compared to. Other things that went on in that deadly riot, which included people who uh, were killed. Um, there are photos of Mr. Coolis um, at, the, at, you know, within this evidence packet, within this complaint of uh, Mr. Coolis on the Capitol grounds, it appears. Uh, these were collected from social media. Um, so from what we know and what we've reported on, this was the first um, North Shore resident of the I believe they've arrested close to 500 um, people in, in relation to the Capitol riot on January 6th. And this is the first person in the North Shore in our coverage area that has been arrested for that. Um, he, uh, his parents I believe are, the, go ahead. the, I believe the third in Cook County, and if I'm not mistaken, the ninth or 10th in the state of Illinois. So um, yeah, you, you were correct there earlier, Joe. I think the total as of our publication of that story on Tuesday was um, about 465 individuals have been charged so far for the events that uh, that took place on January 6th. And according to some information on the Department of Justice, Justice and the FBI's website, they are nowhere close to finish with um, making charges. Yeah, and you can kind of see that on social media. If you follow it along on social media, a lot of people still looking to be identified. And I'm sure they, you know, even more they already have that they're um, solidifying cases. But this one, you know, it appeared on social media that Christian was um, identified um, early in January, uh, early in the process in mid-January, um, but uh, they, they arrested him this week. A um, lot of nuance. We have a lot of, uh, we pulled a lot of information from the case file and from the affidavit um, and then for the story. So you can check it out. And, you know, some of the photos clearly show uh, this individual at the Capitol, and there's a voice saying in one of the videos, storming the Capitol. Um, so 
all that's included in the story. Check it out. Um, pretty interesting national story that has a local angle now. Um, so that's Kenilworth. Uh, we're going to skip down one more town to Wilmette, uh, where, you know, kind of a business boom is uh, in the works, I would say. A lot of new businesses coming into town. That's not just um, ex exclusive to Wilmette. I think we're, we're seeing that happen as the summer approaches in um, all of our communities. But um, maybe the first one, um, the first most anticipated one to open did on Friday, and that's Central Station Coffee and Tea. That opened on Friday. Um, to much fanfare to, uh, you know, people waiting out the door um, for their coffee and tea. So pretty cool stuff. It was the, it's, it's at the former location in downtown Wilmette of the Rock House, which was a cafe slash music school combo. They also had some live music, a really cool concept there. Um, they kind of pulled out of that business while they still do a music school and um, took a couple years, but Central Station took over from a Wilmette resident, Katie Deegan. Um, and they just serve a variety of coffee, tea, and that kind of uh, French bistro style, you know, European style, I should say. You guys should check out. We have some photos from the interior of it, but it's really been much anticipated um, in the community and uh, open to much fanfare. But we also have this story, including the story, what, what maybe some other restaurants um, are going to pop up soon, including Pit and Tap right around the corner from Central Station. Um, and there at the end of the month, we have... Rosati's, which hopes for the end of the summer over in Fourth and Linden. Cluckers is already open at Fourth and Listen, uh, Linden, a, a chicken chicken shack, if you will. Um, we have a couple in Glencoe and Winneka as well that hope to open very soon. Um, hometown Coffee's second location in Winneka hopes to be open, I believe he said, by um, end of July. So um, pretty cool stuff. A lot of things happening. Check out that story on Central Station as well as um, some updates on some other restaurants. Um, yeah, it's just fun. Uh, a nice, nice boost to the economy. Looks like it's coming into the area. Yeah, and Central Station's lattes have a ringing endorsement from uh, one Mr. Joe Coglin. So uh, yeah, take I guess that. We can say I am a uh, I am a terrible journalism cliche, <laughs> and I really enjoy working out of coffee shops. Um, and drinking as much as I can um, while still driving. So um, I, I've been there a couple times already, and it's it's very it's very enjoyable environment, I will say. Um, so check it out. You might find me. I'll probably be there a couple days a week for at least a little while um, to enjoy that. A quick pat on the back to us. Not that we need one, but many of those restaurant openings first reported by your local nonprofit newsroom right here. Absolutely, they were. And you can go back and check. I think I may have linked all of them in that story. But um, kudos to Marty for staying on most of that. Um, and uh, that is up and down the shore, our second segment. So like we said, jam-packed. We got more stories uh, other than those that you can find on our site as well, including tons of sports content as we finish up the year. Um, so you're going to see news intermixed with sports. And we have a, a bunch of a bunch of human interest stuff burning too um, that we're working on. So stay tuned for that. So that's our first two segments. We're going to go into an interesting human interest story um, for our fan favorite featured feature. And that is on the Bolito. Uh, this is something um, I kind of stumbled across down here in downtown Wilmette. So another downtown Wilmette story, really it's a, it's a human interest story about the family. Um, the uh, Keith Veneziano and his wife, Molly, um, I hope I pronounced that right. Probably didn't. Sorry, Keith. But uh, cool story. Very quickly, 
they made a sandwich. Keith made a sandwich. He's a budding chef. Uh, it's, he's only got one sandwich. It's a pop-up shop. It's only available one day a week for a couple hours. So you got to get it while it's hot. I mean that. Um, they ran out their first week in, uh, in about 90 minutes. Um, so about half the time they planned. And they're kind of uh, they're up in their sandwich count to about 75 but let me tell you the story about Keith. Keith was in pharmaceuticals, uh, but he's always kind of wanted to be a chef, really into the kitchen, really into cooking. And uh, his wife, Molly, was all about it, said, go for it, Keith. And he did as he took some culinary classes and he graduated from culinary school in March. So during the right before the pandemic really, uh, really started affecting and disrupting everything um, in March of 2020. Um, from there, he worked at a deli uh, in Chicago and then he kind of hooked up with Joe Spera, who's the owner of Al's Meat Market right here in downtown Wilmette, and, uh, you know, started kind of, you know, being, uh, you know, working under him and the tutelage of, of Joe Spera, a longtime no-nonsense butcher. And um, that kind of evolved into Joe really, or Keith wanted to really create his own sandwich. Uh, and it's his kind of riff on Italian beef, but it's not beef, it's brisket. So we have um, a brisket roast that... Um, you know, he wouldn't tell me too much about it, but they do boil it for 12 hours in a bone broth. Um, and uh, that's kind of where they got the name Bolito, a little, a little prettier name than uh, boiled, but um, that's what it means in Italian. So the Bolito is uh, that chopped Italian brisket, um, which of course uh, simmers in that for 12 hours and has uh, a lot of seasonings, of course, just don't know the secret sauce. Then it's uh, put on a roll that they got from Benison's right here in Evanston, a, a hard Italian um Italian roll that they dip in au jus. So they keep that Chicago flavor that everybody likes. And then they drizzle it with an Italian, they call it an Italian salsa verde, very parsley forward. And also a dollop of um, kind of a uh, Calabrini chili pepper based uh, relish, I guess you'd call it. So those two things uh, really set the sandwich off. Um, it's, it's very tender. Um, like I said, it was uh, from what I saw <laughs> when I was in there for the day one, uh, it went uh, pretty quickly. Um, in 90 minutes, everybody wanted one they could barely handle, but they had the whole family working at a mini little pop-up shop there right inside. Um, and they got some tables set up outside as well. So it's called the Bolito. Really fun story about um, Keith and Molly and how they're going to give this a go and just see what happens through the summer. Very interesting. Uh, we, uh, you might see a, a couple of your favorite local journalists out there uh, this week trying to, get, trying to scoop one of those up. Yeah, if, if it looks like we do stories on, on food, it's because we're, we're journalists and constantly hungry and thirsty for, for coffee and, and lunch. So <laughs> uh, uh, we're always there and we always pick up the stuff. But that's, you know, that's just one of the stories we get from being around town, you know, every day, every other day and talking to a ton of people. And, and this is one that's just caught our eye. Pretty cool story. Human interest stuff about the uh, Veneziano family. And that is up and down. I'm sorry. That is our featured feature. And that is the show. That is our three segments. We ran through a lot. Again, check it all out. Plus more at the record Before we let you go, Marty's going to give you a little bit of a sneak peek at what's to come. And uh, here's a few things. Yeah. Another new business. We've got a story on a, uh, a new business coming into Wilmette's fourth and Linden business district. And it's called Luigi's dress shop. Going to be a very interesting concept. Uh, just for a little bit of a tease, a mix of clothing and alcohol. So to get some more details, you'll have to read the story, which should be up on our site in the next day or so here. And then we're also going to have an update on Wilmette's uh, neighborhood storage project. For those familiar 
Um, it's kind of been known as the village's largest infrastructure endeavor ever, you know, a project that's been in the works now here for quite some time. So um, we've got an update coming on that. And then as Joe alluded to earlier, tons and tons and tons of sports coverage with playoffs coming into full force here. So um, pretty much a, a highly anticipated playoff game every day of the week coming up here. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of North Shore News Week. Uh, we have it every week as well. Um, check out our site, sign up for uh, this podcast to get alerts about it. You can sign up for our newsletter, which comes out every Thursday morning as well. And uh, we have a, hopefully you made it this long into the pod because we have a killer deal right now. Um, today is our founding. I should have opened with this, Marty. I'm sorry. We got so much going on. Bearing the lead. Yeah, totally bearing <laughs> the lead. Um, big faux pas here. But a year ago today, we signed the papers and became an official company. So I remember having this conversation with Marty and Megan and saying, okay, this is it. You know, we, we've had all these ideas. We put some things in motion, but if we sign this paperwork, we put it through, we're a company, we're, we're a go. And without pretty too much hesitation, we're like, let's do this. And uh, that was the founding June 10th, 2020. We became the record community news and thus the record North shore and uh, we came. So because of that, we have a little founders deal. If you guys subscribe within the next week, uh, you get it for half off, 50% off, just 30 bucks for the whole year, access to everything. Um, a lot of our public service journalism is free, but uh, a lot of our human interest work, uh, business reporting and sports coverage is not. So check that out. You get all that for free. You get breaking news alerts, a bunch of other good stuff. So check out the site, sign up, become a subscriber and support your community news. We'll have plenty more for you guys next week. Thanks for listening.